0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the honor and pleasure of chatting with my friend and industry vet, Kate Gerwin. Kate recently was a contestant on Netflix Drink Masters. She's also had a very long career in the beverage industry and owns a Tales of the Cocktail award-winning bar that she's going to tell you all about in this show. So please sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite cocktail, and enjoy this very special episode. Kate, I want to welcome you to Served Up. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting. I know that your career is absolutely exploding right now, but I would love for our listeners to really understand how you started off in the beverage world.
1: Yeah. Um I started off in the wine world. Um, I grew up in Sonoma County and I, you know, as most people do, I was a server in high school and um I got really interested in wine and wanted to be a winemaker. And when I turned 21, I started working as a cellar rat, um, which is the, the fun term for people who shovel grapes and send lab analysis off. And I, I lived in Napa and I did that for um, a couple of years, kind of trying to work my way up through the wine industry. Um, and then I uh, met my ex-husband and we he's a chef. Uh, he was on his externship from culinary school in Napa. And we decided that we were going to move to New Mexico and open a restaurant. And it was going to be a very wine forward, uh, culinary forward restaurant. He was the chef. I was a sommelier. And we got to New Mexico and opened a restaurant and people really uh, just weren't quite into wine. Like I had hoped they kept asking for cocktails and everybody wanted drinks. And so I came up with a very simple 10 cocktail menu and, um, people loved it. Um, I was actually very lucky, uh, Tony Abugam and, um, Charlotte Boise came through the market, came to my bar and they said, you, got, you should be doing more cocktails. You have a great palate. These are really interesting. And I was like, but wine, but wine. Um, and we, uh, we won a Sante Award for Spirits Hospitality in the Southwest. And they took us on this trip. And I, again, got to meet Charlotte. And she said, you know, we need more strong females in this industry. Have you ever heard of Tales of the Cocktail? And I said, no. And she said, well, I'd love to get you out there. You know, um, I work for this this little company called William Grant and Sons, and we do these little things. And why don't you come out and experience Tales of the Cocktail? And that was, I think, year 2010 or 2011. Um, and I said, sure, I would love to. And I went to Tales of the Cocktail and, um, you know, I went to the, the there was the the year they had the William Grant and Sons party at the world war ii museum i think this year was a 10 or 11 year anniversary yeah and i was like oh my god this is amazing like the party was awesome and you know like sean kenyon and dale de and all these they were making Ramoses with cows and there was these antique cars and um i had so much fun i was like man these are these are my people um i was kind of the Outspoken um one in the wine world, I was. I didn't quite fit in, I guess, as much with the the sommeliers and in the in the bar industry. I I kind of blended in real easily, and I was like, man, this is this is so much more my pace, and these are my people. And I just, I kind of, I wouldn't say I gave up on wine, but I just really started focusing on cocktails, and I started to realize that you know, like I've always been told, I have a great palate, and I you know, I had trained for many many years on being a sommelier and I realized that I could make cocktails to pair with dishes much easier than it was to find wines that paired well. And I just started really focusing on, um, bartending and and learning that in our menu. And, and that just kind of took off from there. It was like, um, it was very serendipitous. It was where I was supposed to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what and I, and I always say it, and I've said it a million times on, the, on these podcasts, that you either love our industry or you just don't. It yes. just can't be a gray area, you know, because it's so aggressive. It really it is. is. And you have to bring your full self, you know, every shift, every yep. day. And it can be very exhausting. So you have to really enjoy bits and pieces of it. Because if you just don't, um, you won't last.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like home for me. It just felt right um it was just kind of like the culmination of everything coming together and being like yeah no this is where I'm supposed to be cool now let's now let's do it well and you've done it so you know (laughs) so we're talking
0: about like 2010 2011 your first tales, right okay so bring us up to speed today like fill us in with that last decade or so yeah so uh
1: I got a divorce in 2012 (laughs) um which you know was um a huge, obviously a huge thing in my life. And it was like, okay, um, I don't want to do restaurants anymore. I don't want to do fine dining. I want to do bars. And I started working in high volume bars. And um, that led me to meet Tobin, uh, Tobin Ellis. And I started working for Bar Magic and doing consulting. And that started to get me to travel and just, you know, kind of get out of my comfort zone. And we started opening bars and, in Louisville, in Winston-Salem, in Baltimore. And I was um working with him. And then um we we started working in North Dakota. And I basically for, you know, a good, I don't know, I'd say um seven years, just did a lot of consulting projects, which taught me so much because we were doing a lot of small market work and a lot of training and popping up bars all over the place. And that was was kind of where I fell in love with small market work and, and, you know, introducing what we call craft cocktail culture to smaller towns that really hadn't seen it. Because at the time, you know, we're, we're really on the tail end of, of everybody kind of doing the fresh juice thing. And, uh, I, I was just like really in love with the idea of going into these bars who had just done rum and cokes and, and those things and really opening their mind into, into craft cocktails. So I did, um, I, I did open a few bars in North Dakota and then I got another consulting job in Santa Cruz. Um, and then I kind of took a step back and was like, man, I get hired by all these people who don't really know our industry, don't really love our industry. They love money. Right. And I was building all these programs that was making a lot of people, a lot of money, but none of the staff was making money and none of the people who loved our industry were making money and none of us had health insurance and none of us were really getting ahead. And I was watching, you know, because I was doing all the consulting, I was seeing how much money I was making these people and they were like, man, this is great. Um, But they weren't us, right. They weren't industry. They were just investors who, you know, wanted to own a bar, wanted a cool place to hang out but they didn't really invest in the culture. And it would always be things like, yeah, I know you want to send the staff to educational things. And I know you want to give health insurance to the staff, but you know we just don't see it in the bottom line. And basically what I was hearing from everyone is, we really enjoy the money that you're making us. We're never going to make you a partner. We're never going to be equitable to the staff. We're never going to give health insurance because we really like the money from these things that you've built. Um, so thanks. And like the, the bar in North Dakota, they had promised me partnership every, you know, this year and next year. And, you know, one day we'll, you know, we'll do this with you. And then I left and went to Santa Cruz and they said, um, well, in the next project, we'll make you partners. Well, you know, and then the next projects came along and they said, well, you know, we've watched what you've done for the last two years and we kind of feel like we could do it ourselves now. We don't necessarily really need you. Wow. Um, Yeah, we've, we've, you know, these guys that you've trained, maybe we'll just have them do it. We'll give them a a little boost in salary. And the funny one was the last one I did in Santa Cruz. They had a new project they wanted to open in Oakland. We bidded it out. We said, okay, well, we'll be partners in this one. And they said, well, we know we said that, but we're not really sure how valuable you are. So they kind of pushed us out. Um, what they didn't realize is the whole staff was going to walk with with us because they were like, we're not going to work for you guys. Um, they were kind of left holding this bar that now had no staff. Um, and and I walked away thinking, yeah, I think I'm done. I think I'm done making all of these people money when the, the final straw for me was you know, we had like a really profitable year. And I came to the the owner and I said, okay, you know, it's time to offer the staff health insurance. Like, and he said, well, you know, at this point, what if we just flipped the staff and got new staff? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And um, my business partner, Blaze, and I were like, okay, uh, we got to figure something else out because the entire staff ended up walking with us which felt really good. Like, you know, you were like, man, they, they walked out because these people treated us like shit. But then I had to look back and be like, now I have 10 people I care about that don't have jobs. Um, And then the pandemic hit and it literally hit like two months after all of this happened. Now, luckily um, I have great friends in the industry. And we were all able to find these people jobs. Everyone that walked out of the job in Santa Cruz got a job somewhere else but they were basically back to square one and they were bartending without health insurance and starting over and working off tips. And, and I was like, man, this sucks. Like, this is, this is like a never ending cycle of crap and um, the pandemic hit and I was watching all my friends, you know, like kind of lose their bars and lose everything. And people were closing or people were like going bankrupt. You know, I would talk to Southern. And he's like, we're barely hanging on doing this to go thing. And we've opened a, you know, a patio bar on the outside of a more and, and everybody, I mean, this is like my idols. These are people who have like won best bars in the world and are, you know, world's 50 best and all of that crap that we all think is really important. And we think it's all important, but yet no one had the capital to make it through the pandemic and no one had the whereabouts to like come out of this alive. And I was like, man, we, we got to figure something else out. So um, when we moved here to New Mexico, we started thinking about ways that we could, you know, kind of take our industry back and look at the business model and figure out how we would be able to open a space that prioritized health insurance, that prioritized staff equity. And I mean... It's not that I don't think anyone ever wanted to. I I think that people have always wanted... Not always. I think a lot of us have wanted to take care of our people. But we were handed down a recipe for business for years and years and years that we just all assumed was kind of the standard. So it was like, you know, your operating expenses need to lie in this percentage and your labor cost needs to lie in this percentage and the cost of goods sold needs, needs to lie in this percentage. And if you're real, real lucky you might make a 2% profit um and we were kind of like okay that's the formula like that's that's what the formula is and we kind of just like took a step back and and Blaze and I were like okay what if what if we made this a non-negotiable and what if we made this a non-negotiable and what if we decided to do this um let's just take a stab at it and see if we can open a bar that offers health insurance that has you know a living wage is a baseline salary and, you know, tips are on top of that. And what if we make a decision to grow with our staff? And as we, you know, move forward, we offer profit sharing and partnerships. And, um, you know, we, we're still working on the details. And as we grow, we're still trying to figure it all out. But we really just decided that instead of, and I know a lot of guests don't like to hear this, instead of prioritizing our guests, we were going to prioritize our staff. And that's what we do. So we don't allow people to come in and treat our staff like shit. We don't believe that the customer is always right. And if you're going to come into the space and you're going to treat the staff like crap because you think hospitality means that you can be rude and we have to fall to your every whim, we're just going to ask you to go somewhere else because the staff is the most important thing. Their safety, their well-being, their mental health is the most important thing in the building. And hopefully the people that come in and want to experience the talent that we have to offer will treat those people with dignity and humanity. And then the hospitality that they deserve can be met. Um, and that's just kind of where we are now. And it's been a year and a little over a year. And you know, we're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we're winning awards and our staff is still stuck with us and they're, you know, living beyond a living wage. And they have access to the things that make them feel important, hopefully. And, you know, we're going to grow with that and keep trying to work on how to make it better for them and hopefully show people that there's a, a new business model that we can kind of start gravitating to and adhere to that prioritizes the people that really make it work. Because in my experience, the two people that the two groups that have been prioritized in the hospitality industry have been the customers and the owners and the owners, meaning the investors or the people at the top. And then the people that really work their asses off and, you know, try really hard to make this all happen. We, we fall into depression and, you know, we have to find ways to do go fund me's if we need surgery or if we break a leg or we break a bone or, you know, we rely on each other to support each other. And, I think that we create, I mean, to our own detriment, we created a business model that basically tells everybody that they're more important than us. And we kind of just were like, yeah, that's just what it is, right? You got to be tough to be in this industry or you got to be this to be in this industry or you got to be this. And it was kind of like, well, what if you don't have to be those things? Um, What if we just kind of put a different couple pieces here and we move this over here? And what if we prioritize the people and make them best. And I, I can tell you there's times where I've second guests ourselves, or, you know, we've, we've told guests like, you're just flat out wrong and you can't treat people like that and you can't do this. And, you know, we get Google reviews or Yelp reviews and they're like, oh, they, you know, the drinks were great or this was great, but they didn't, you know, adhere to my every whim. And, and it, it I got scared. But what I really realized is those aren't the people that deserve what we have to offer. They're just not, they're not the people that deserve to be here. Um, They should, you know, be stuck making their own drinks at home until they learn how to treat humans. In my opinion, Um, and the people that deserve to be in our spaces are the people that treat us with humanity. And there's a there's a um, a mental health expert, and she has a an Instagram called um, Healthy Poor, and she made a post. My name is Laura Louise Green, and she made a post about hospitality is is basically the responsibility of the guest, and not as much the responsibility of us. And the, the gist of it that I got out of it was that we can't give hospitality until the guests recognize our humanity. And once they recognize our humanity, that's when hospitality, hospitality happens. But before that, it's just service. And we really kind of got stuck in this rut of just giving people service. Um, and trying to force hospitality, but it's really hard as, as empathetic people as we are. To give hospitality when people don't recognize your humanity, they just think of you as servants. And I think it's time for us to take our industry back and demand a little humanity. If you you can't treat us with dignity and you can't treat us with respect, then you don't deserve the talent that the chefs and the bartenders, you you just don't deserve it. And I think that we have to create spaces that demand the integrity of our, our people. First and foremost, and then hospitality can be met because the customer is not always right. Um, sometimes the customer is entitled, and sometimes the customer puts us in a place of feeling less than human, and I don't think that's okay. Yeah, I don't think that's
0: okay either. Someone who's been in the industry for almost thirty years now, so for a very long time, um, you know, I've seen and I and I've been I have experienced uh, some yeah. extreme toxic interactions with guests with owners with with, owners too yeah with with um with staff I mean you name it you know one day maybe I will write a tell-all book today because I can really put it out there yeah but I think what you're doing is beautiful and it's so necessary I wish it wasn't it should just be the standard right because when we talk about hospitality it really is that an a relationship with your guests it's a relationship you know you mentioned like if if it's not hospitality then you're just like you're just serving right it's just service but in order to create hospitality you have to create that relationship and I love that you said you know just letting them know like hey I'm human over here too yeah you know so that there is that level of respect I totally get what you're doing I think it's beautiful I think it's wonderful and and I really hope that bars and restaurants listen and duplicate the model because what we are doing right now, it doesn't work for everyone and it needs to be burnt to the fucking ground.
1: It does. It really does. And I do see it kind of everywhere around me just in, in the community here. You know, I've I've noticed and it's not it's like I said, it's not that people don't want to give it. We just didn't really think it was possible. But like I have my neighbors reaching out to me and like, okay, how did you offer health insurance for your staff? Cause we want to do it too. And the, we have this Yelp board where we'll put really bad, dumb reviews and kind of fight back a little bit. Not, I can admit, I don't like the negative energy of it. I don't like, oh yeah, you did this. I'll do that. But it was kind of like taking our power back. And I can't tell you how many industry people were like, thank you. Thank you for standing up for us. I can't do it in my business. My owner would never let me. My this would never let me. But thank God someone finally said, go fuck yourself. Like literally just go fuck yourself. Like I don't come to your job and and put my head over the computer and scream at you when you make typos. Like you're a human being. How come we've created this environment where we think it's so okay for people to have a voice in something they know nothing about? Like you've never been in hospitality but yet you can go and type on your keyboard and try and destroy a business because you didn't let get your pizza at the Chinese food restaurant. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I just, I, it, it's, there's no other industry that's treated really the way that we are. You don't go into the bank and go, you know, I'm not sure I like this interest rate and uh, I don't really want to fill out the deposit slip. So you do it. Or, you know, I'm not going to do this because that's not what I want. Like there's, there's no other industry that puts up with the crap we do.
0: And we have been
1: told like the customer is always right. You just need to do Mm -hmm. it. Well, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to work me out of a profitable business, I actually don't have to do it. Um, we had a a lady come in last night and she's like, I want X, Y, Z. And I said, well, we don't have this and we don't have that. We can't make you that. She's like, well, this is just ridiculous. This is what I want. I'm like, you don't go to the you don't go to the French restaurant and be like, hey, you guys going to pop up a pizza for me real quick? Like, mm-hmm. how come in our industry, we felt like we have to cater to every? Like, if I have it, yes, I want to be hospitable, but I'm not a bad business because I'm not willing to cater to your every whim. It just means it's out of the realm of what I can produce. Exactly. And that's why more places
0: like yours need to open. And so we're re-educating the customer is what we're doing on you know, how to behave.
1: Yeah, it's like the <laughs> right like it's my birthday I want a free shot. Mm-hmm. Like could you it's literally everybody's birthday every day of the year. Right. Like it it 100% is and where we got adopted this idea like you don't go to the grocery store and you're like hey, it's my birthday I want a free steak. They'd be like uh don't care? Yep, don't totally like, care. Why does every and, and as a business that means we have to tack on margins to everybody else and you know, we have to cut our profits because of this. I don't know where we got into this idea that hospitality has to be giving everybody everything they want. Mm-hmm. We are an industry and we have people to take care of. And we got to this place where it was like we were sucking ourselves dry to give everybody everything they need. Yeah. And at a certain point, we have to just say, hey, th- this is what we can do. I want to be hospitable. But if it doesn't fall within the realm of what I can do, It's, it's just not something that's going to happen. And I think it's funny because, you know, I've, I've done online debates and, um, you know, I, I understand there was, and I'm not going to call out anyone in particular, there's there's books that were written about the customer being right. And you bend over backwards and there was these restaurants that built empires, you know, off of telling the guests never to say no, you know, like the answer is not never no. It's what, how, how we can make it. Yes. But it's funny, because when you look at these, indes- those businesses, they're all falling, they're all going bankrupt, they're all losing their space, they're not able to pay their rent, they're not able to keep staff. Um, so there was this idea that the um, I'll, I'll loosely, you know, like, we have to set the table for the guests to be, well, you know what, let's look at those guys, because they ain't doing so hot right now. Um, they're all losing everything that they've had. And I think it's because we tried so hard to be empathetic that we forgot to take care of ourselves. Yeah. You have and to it, like, it's, it's actually your okay to set boundaries. Yeah. Like
0: it, it's okay to set boundaries. Yep. It is. It is okay to set boundaries. And you know what? Like, you know, before we got on here, we were talking about, you know, you really either you, you love this industry, right? Or you right. just don't because it is hard work. It is. It's, it's hard work to be hospitable. <laughs> it's hard work it's, to get in that space. Um, to really, to, to be able to give a true, um, hospitable experience you're on your feet a lot yep. of times we're working long hours you know let's talk about the real deal behind it i know like i could never work behind the bar i know that my time i i was out a long time ago of feet arms carpal yeah. tunnel and both wrists i mean all kinds of shit right so it's rough. it's rough so you do have to enjoy it and i believe that those who really do um that they give out an experience that is so memorable, right? That people want to come back to hang out with, you know, whoever you have behind the bar, whoever you have, that might be your server, right? Yeah. And maybe they're not even so hung up on what they're drinking and what they're eating, but they want to come in for that companionship and yeah. for that relationship because it's fun. And because it's nice, Exactly. you know, when it's done right. And I've exactly. had those experiences in my lifetime as well. I've had a re- every, every part of it. I know yeah. you have too. but I think what you're doing is incredibly special and it's important.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it was just time after kind of taking a step back and being like, man, I've made a lot of people, a lot more money, but I'm still driving. My grandma's 1989 Buick LeSabre. And if I don't have health insurance and I'm in my forties and I'm kind of tired Um, so yeah, that was it. It was like, okay. So then it was like, no, well, now I opened this bar and, you know, a tertiary market and, you know, we don't have a PR company and we don't have a marketing firm. And I still, to this day, run our Instagram by ourselves. We don't have access to, you know, I, you know, I was really surprised when we got the tails award, because there's always that rumor or that feeling going around of like, if you don't hire X, Y, Z PR firm, Or if you don't do this or you don't play the game, you're not going to get an award. And I honestly didn't think we'd get the award. And it was like the most gratifying, humbling experience to have my peers look at what we were doing from a distance and be like, yeah, you know what? Fuck this. She's getting the award. That bar is getting the award because they may not have the PR and they may not be taking the fancy cocktail photos and they might not be doing all of the, you know, the cocktail books. But damn, does it feel good to watch someone doing this in a small market? And that was kind of the like, I don't know, it was like that aha moment where I like stood back and I was like, fuck, yeah, they're paying attention. Like, oh, they're yeah. paying attention to to not to the cocktails, not to the other, they're, they're paying attention and they want this to happen. And we all want it to happen. We just weren't really sure. And right. then we got another Best New Bar Award. And So I had actually filmed Drink Masters before this. And I'll be honest, when they reached out to me, I was like, I'm done competing. Y'all can screw off. There's no way I'm doing this. Like it ain't happening. But when I talked to Blaze about it and we really talked about how we were going to put happy accidents, Knob Hill, Teddy Rose, you know, small market bars, not just ours, but like, you know, Austin bars, nickel city, all of these guys who are doing, you know, cool things, how we were going to put all of these bars in a place that you didn't have to, you know, pay a bunch of money to kind of get into these. And I was like, well, you know, maybe consumers need to see that on Netflix. Right? Like, I mean, maybe that's kind of like the route that we take. And I was pretty pleased when we did the drink masters thing. Cause like, you know, there's Fort Wayne, Indiana and Boise, Idaho and Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, And I, I kind of looked around the room and I was like, OK, so this is actually a lot more of a representation of like who we are as a bar industry, because don't get me wrong. I love going to Tales of the Cocktail and I love I think the epitome is of hospitality is Katana Kid. Like, I don't know how you channel your I always say I'm channeling my inner masa. Like, I don't know how these guys do it. But they're not the only ones, right? Like they're, they're not. And there are bars in all of these small markets that are doing amazing, powerful things. And it's time that the industry is huge, but we really, you know, are, we only represent like a a 7%. There's, there's bars all over the world that are doing awesome things that get absolutely no recognition whatsoever. And maybe if the consumers start realizing, that they have these things in their backyard. Maybe that will give us the boost that we need for people to start enacting these things in their own towns. So Drink Masters for me was a way to get consumers to be like, damn, these guys work really hard. They do really cool stuff. It's a lot more like being a chef than I expected. And there's some bars in my neighborhood that might be doing those things. Maybe I should go check those out and start talking yeah. to those bartenders you know, I think
0: what Drink Masters is showing everyone is that it's really an art that's happening most of the time, a lot yes. of the time behind the bar. Yeah. It's not all that different that what's happening in the kitchen with the chef. Yep. So I would love for you to tell the listeners, you know, a bit about your experience on Drink Masters.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, we didn't we didn't know who'd be competing or judging before we got there. Um, it, it was intense. You know, we were, we're the guinea pigs. I'm really hoping the shows picked up for another couple seasons so that they can hone in on more of the, the art form. There was a lot of, you know, we, we were, we didn't know what we were doing and drinks die real fast. So the difference in top stuff where they can plate a dish and it'll look pretty and look the same for, you know, 30 minutes of filming is a lot different for for drink masters where you put a drink up and 10 minutes later, the glass is sweating and the ice is melted and there's the top layer of water. And you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. So there's a lot of things. And then the other thing is like I hear that. Well, this isn't real bartending. Well, it is because how boring it would it be if we all put up 12 brown old fashioned riffs. Right. And like who wants to watch that on TV? Um, No one, because you're like, cool, 12 brown drinks. So there was a, a huge thing of like working outside the glass and making things visual. And, and the other thing was like, we legitimately only had 90 minutes. And I hear people like, oh, if I had 90 minutes to make a drink, we're not talking about 90 minutes to make a drink behind the bar. We're talking about all your sub recipes and your syrups and your infusions and your ice and all of those things. Because. If you concept out a menu, if you're a consultant and you've concepted out a drink, you usually have weeks to do that. And you want to do the research on what tequila you're going to use or what gin you're going to use. Is it more juniper forward? Is it American gin? And it has lavender notes. And, you know, what, what am I going to put on here? And menu development takes time. So to only have 90 minutes to concept, prep, execute, build and present. It's tough. Um, it was probably the hardest undertaking I had ever done. We were in a vacuum. We were away from our families. It's stressful. You're tired. It's It was exhausting. Um, energy is high. Then energy is low. But I think it was one of the, the best decisions that I made because it was a, a harder, I mean, I was like the oldest, you know, the older Alex and I, we were like, the OGs, that's what we were saying. like, OG mommy and OG poppy was what we called our, each other because, I mean, we both would look at each other and be like, man, we're too old for this shit. <laughs> like, what were we thinking? Um, but it was a chance for us to kind of be like, hey, guys, this is what we've been doing and this is what it entails. And consumers constantly reach out to me and they're like, I had no idea. This is what bartending was like. And it's not just bartending on our level. I think back to like my club days, we were still on some degree doing the same thing. You still had to learn the difference between all the flavors of products and you still had to make your little suitor shots and you still had to come up with things. Like, I can't tell you how many times in club bartending, you know, people come up and be like, oh, that person makes the best suitors or that person makes the best martini. And it's not just in the craft cocktail world. We study, we work at trying to be better in every level in every aspect even the dive bars between what beers they carry or what whiskeys they carry i can't tell you how many times i've walked into a quote unquote dive bar you know with a 60 70 80 year old behind the bar who could literally tell you every speck on every whiskey they have behind the bar that's education that's talent that's years of experience and it's time for people to start kind of acknowledging that on a consumer side. And I do think Drink Masters is going to not only start doing that, but continue to do that. The show will get better. There'll be more real life experiences. There'll be more twists and turns. And I and I hope that people buy into that idea instead of the you know, one thing I, I had said to one of the producers is, you know, as bartenders we're kind of cynical. Assholes. Like we will look at this show and be like, well, that's not and this is, and I wouldn't. And I was kind of hoping that we wouldn't do that thing that we kind of tend to do where we see something and bash it. And I have to say, I've been overwhelmed at how many people have just been like, fuck yeah. Yeah, maybe it's not my experience, or maybe it's not, but like, y'all did the damn thing and and we're here to support it and we're here to watch it grow. Um, the biggest thing that got me, and literally like I'm almost gonna choke up now. Um, one of my mentors and idols, Cheryl Charming, reached out to me. And if you know Cheryl, she is an icon. Like, yes, she is. She's she been is. around, right? Like mm-hmm. fuck that woman is she's written more books
0: yep. than anyone that I know. Yep. She brings a it... light of entertainment yeah. to the bar that is second to none. The woman is a literal magician.
1: She is. And like amazing. I've looked up to her for so long and she reached out and said, Hey Kate, I just want to thank you. Um, you know, my family reached out to me and for the first time they thought me being a bartender was cool. And my nieces were like fangirling out. Do you know this girl, Kate? And she was like, do I know her? Like, I've mentored her. And she was like, it gave me credit credibility within my family. Who've always just kind of been like, Oh, Cheryl, the Bart. And I was like, I mean, she brought me into tears. Cause I'm like, here's this woman that I have literally looked up to my career thanking me because her family finally said, this is so cool. This is what you do. And it's like, this is what you do. This is what she's taught. Like, this is what she inspired. And I was like, all right,
0: we did it. You absolutely did it. And I think with that, that's a wonderful story, by the way, because what it does, it just validates, you know, um, our experience in the industry. Uh, I can tell you, I mean, she is literally a goddess. She's a (laughs) good friend of mine as well. I love Cheryl's pieces. You know, um, I had a great time binge watching the show. I sat and I watched them all in one day. So my family is like, are you still watching it? I'm like, I am my <laughs> <I can't laughs> stop. It's <laughs> horrible. I was like, yeah. ah. it was so fun. But um I was just incredibly proud of you. I was incredibly proud of our friends on the show, you know, including um the judges like Julie yeah. for really students doing us all really proud. You know, it's such an important series. I was actually telling um, my team at work, I'm like, have you watched it? And none of them, I don't believe have ever bartended a day in their life. And I said, you know, it's, it's so important. It's like, think about, you know, the chef who maybe saw Julia Child on TV for the first time yeah, and said, wow, now this is what I do. Now the world knows. Yeah. And I said, it, it's an important show. It's a really important show to our industry. Um, and I, and I think it's fun and it's funny. And, and sometimes I cried like it, it really drags you. So did I. I know you did. I saw (laughs) It's wonderful. It's such a wonderful show.
1: Can you talk about some of the
0: highlights for you personally?
1: Um, Hands down, the people, you know, I, I I literally was on the phone with Suzu when I was like, Hey, I got to go. I got to do this podcast. I talked to Suzu if not every day, every other day. And we text constantly. Um, I talk to mayor constantly, like I, I, you know, Capri is just a goddess and Raj, you know, I feel like those that had to go so early just missed out on people getting to know who they are because we were there for weeks together. So people are like, Oh, why did you cry? You were only, it was episode two. And I'm like, cause we spent weeks together beforehand and we've also known each other in the industry forever. And these people are incredibly talented and it was hard to see them go because you knew they had so much in them to give. So it was definitely the people. Like I I can't be more thankful for the relationships that I got in that. And then secondary would just be what I think it's going to do. I'm I'm praying that Netflix picks up another season because I want more people to realize what we do and who we are and how important it is and that it's a viable career and it's something you can grow into. And, you know, the amount of people who've just reached out to me via Instagram and been like, you know, I knew I could do this or thank you for inspiring me or now I want to do this or can I come work for you or I'm going to do this. It was like, man, this is way overdue. And the producer of um, Drink Master's You know, I met him on Bar Rescue and he had been pitching this show for eight years, eight years, eight Eight years. Are you kidding me? Wow. Trying to get a network to pick this up. So what people don't realize is like, if we don't get the support of Drink Masters, it won't happen again. No one's going to do it. No one's. I mean, it was it was a very expensive show to produce. No one's going to put the money into it if we don't get the traction. I will say we're today's the deadline that Netflix kind of like goes to really make their decision on a second season. But like when people were like, Oh, I started watching it and I didn't finish. I'm like, go finish. Like you have to go finish the show. Like I don't care if your favorite person got kicked off, let it run in the background. I don't care if like, yeah, I love DDO, but he's like, I'm not watching. And I was like, bitch turn it on in the background and walk away. If you care about our industry, turn it on. Hey, you know, he's, I make cocktails every day. And I'm like, I don't care. Turn it on, walk away. It's bigger than you. And that's what I was trying to, it's, it's bigger than the first season. It's bigger than that bartender that you saw got kicked off. It's bigger than the person that you didn't think should have done this. Or it's, it's, it's for us, it's for the future of us. And I, I, I hope I actually think personally, I think necklace is going to pick it up because we've gotten a lot of traction. But it's like, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than all of us. It's bigger than one one thing. It's bigger than your opinion. Um, This is a, a platform for us to grow into other things. And the other thing is like, you know, think of the spinoffs and the this and the that. Like we were all devastated when we lost Anthony Bourdain and it was a huge hit to our industry and no one can ever replace him. But I think as an industry, we deserve lots of different offshoots of that and lots of different opportunities for people to see who we are as humans and not who we are as celebrity this or celebrity that but who we really are as an industry and this is just one way for people to see the front of the house and the other thing I think people kind of forget is is this is the first experience for front of the house people to really be put in that light where Suzu and I've been talking about it like you know, chefs are in the back, so they come to the restaurant. If you don't see the chef, you don't think anything of it. We're the forward-facing people that interact with the guests all the time. We're the ones that are on the stage, and we've never really been highlighted. It's always been about the chefs, and not that I don't think that they are talented and, and glorious. Anyone who's ever run a, run a restaurant knows that the bar is what makes the money. The chef is what drives the clientele. But the bar makes the money. People come in and they come for the food, but the food, the margins are so low. The bar is what really does it. And what if we got a little bit of that spotlight too? And what if we were able to invest more in the bar programs? Because after top chef, big corporations were like, Oh, we need a sous chef. Oh, we need support staff. Oh, we need to do this. What if they realized that we need that too? And what if we started getting the help that we've always wanted? Because a show showed the corporate people that don't pay attention that we are really the workhorses and we are the ones that maybe need a little bit more support staff and a little bit more love and a little bit more energy. And, you know, maybe the bar bar program should get more of an investment than people are used to. Um, I think what people are forgetting is that there's a much bigger picture to drink masters than, Oh, these guys are bartenders that went and made a drink in 90 minutes. No, this is hopefully
0: the start of something grand for the I industry so. itself, right? Yeah. That's what I hope. So I felt it. I felt the energy yeah. watching it. I was immensely proud. I am immensely proud of you and, and all, everyone who participated on it. I would never want to be a contestant tested on that show. And I have to, because it looks terrifying. But let me ask you this. I want to ask you about the set
1: mm-hmm. because
0: the set, comes across so beautiful it is is was it as beautiful as you know as you're seeing it on it, screen? It,
1: it actually is um though the the bars are gorgeous i think the the one thing was that they as producers didn't anticipate us spending as much time in the kitchen so the kitchen was a little bit smaller and we were cramped and the bar space was really really huge and we all had these big huge glorious bars But we don't make the drink until the last five minutes of those 90 minutes. And that was part of the disconnect. And I think one of the things that made it so beautiful was that like the the first episode, they're like, when are they, when are they going to go out to the bars? And we were like, not till it's time to make the drink. Um, but it kind of showed again, it showed like this is all happening in the kitchen and what it's not really happening right here. It's just the last little bit of putting the pieces together that most of all that magic happens in the back.
0: Yeah, it sure does. Do you have any advice for our listeners who may be, you know, thinking about entering um the hospitality world on the bar side?
1: Just do it. Just do, do it. it and and don't be afraid to ask for help. That's the biggest thing I think I've learned. Don't be afraid to ask for knowledge and don't be afraid to make room for yourself at the table if no one's making space for you. Um I know we all say we need to make room at the table, but if no one's listening, make your own damn chair, pull it up, sit down and don't take no for an answer. And I guarantee you there's someone out there willing to take a chance on you just like Charlotte or Tony or anyone. It, it might not be the people you're looking at at work, but there is someone out there who's going to pull up a chair for you. Um, And we are getting better at an industry, but don't give up. If you're introverted, you're just as important in the room as the extroverted one. Um, if you have, you know, ageism, physical disabilities, um, any of it, don't let it stop you because someone will make space for you. Well, thank you. Well, with that, Kate, I want to thank
0: you for coming on of Served course. Up. I hope that you come on again because I can't wait to see what you do next. Absolutely. I are going continue to do big things. And um, I just I want to wish you just some really great health and just a whole lot of peace. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Kate.
1: And thank you, because you've definitely been one of those inspirational people to me. You know, you were always willing to, to talk to me. You were always willing to make space. I know you've done it from tons and tons of bartenders. And, you know, the, the thing I always say is that I, I will continue to pay it forward.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Well, cheers.
1: Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you
0: by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!